Good morning. It is so good to be with you as we continue our quest journey. We're exploring God's story together, and we're walking through the whole Bible this year. We've got a little bit of a roadmap for how to do this, and we're walking through the Bible, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you need to know we are in the bad and the ugly part of the Bible. And it's a little rough around the edges. We are in that section up there that's called division. This is after the splendor and the fall of King Solomon. And before we get to the period of the prophets where these prophets are bringing us back to the way. So we're in kind of a little bit of a bad time where the kingdom gets divided. Let me show you some cheesy Sunday school art to illustrate this. And how the kingdom gets divided in two. You have kings that we don't know as well. Not like King David, King Solomon. We have people like Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And, and man, there's just not a whole lot of good news or bright spots in this section. In fact, um, I, I couldn't believe it when I looked at the section of scripture that was assigned for this week. First Kings, uh, kind of, we're looking at this, kind of, kind of this chapter 12 through 16. And... And it's just, there's, there's no glimmer of hope in it. So I looked at a couple of possible topics for Mother's Day with this section of scripture. One, what happens if children don't listen to their mothers? I could do a sermon on that. I could do a sermon on what to do if your grandmother is worshiping false idols. I could do a sermon on that in this section. I also could do a sermon on how to feel better about modern America politics. Because you read the news and then you read this section and you're like, yeah, it's bad today, but it ain't that bad because it was really, really rough then in these decades where you have king after king and things are just unraveling. I have yet to pull the ripcord and have to use what is an escape hatch. We have a psalm of the week, and so on this Mother's Day, I am going to preach on the psalm of the week because that just seems to make the most sense for me. Actually, Part of the main reason I want to preach on this psalm is this, this psalm I, is so important to me, and I want it to be important to you. It is Psalm 46, and the topic I want to address today is, how do you pray when your life seems to be falling apart? I want to recite this passage for you, and I want you to hear it and receive it and let it just wash over you. Just listen to this. Don't follow along. Just allow this prayer to fall on you like rain. God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of dawn. Nations are in an uproar and kingdoms fall. He lifts up his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations that he has brought on the earth he makes the wars to cease to the end of the earth. He, he breaks the bow and he shatters the spear and he burns the shields with fire. And he says, be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted in the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It is hard to read a prayer that talks about refuge and shelter without being overwhelmed by the modern day reality of the images that you and I see every single day of what's happening in Ukraine. Of families carrying all that they have and trying to flee. Like this grandmother and her daughter. Like this mother saying goodbye to a child as she puts the child on a train. And just pause and look at the grief and the anguish and this mother as she leads her children. What kind of prayer is available for people like these? There are two images in this scripture that talk about your world unraveling. The images are those types of images of natural disasters, earthquakes, tsunamis, the, the, literally the ground falling underneath you. And then, and then there's the imagery in this prayer of the battlefield, that you're caught in the midst of a conflict of, of warring nations or, or tribes, and, and you're stuck in the middle of it, and you wonder if there's going to be any future. When I think about the refugees of what is happening in the world right now, and I read the images, this is, this is a little personal for me. There's something in me that, that moves in a particular way because this is part of my family's story. That in World War I, my grandfather's house when he was a child, their farm in eastern Germany became the front in the war. The trenches built, they start fighting one another and just carrying all that they could on their back. That's all that they could take. Images like these where mothers and children had to flee during World War I. My grandfather had to flee with the family to Russia. And after not too long of being in Russia, a little thing called the Bolshevik Revolution happened. And my great-grandmother diligently saved the money from every egg that they could sell, one by one, sending the children across the ocean on a ship to the United States. They landed on Ellis Island. Here's an image of children in the 20s who landed that boy in the image, probably not much younger than my grandfather when he landed in this country. What does it mean for there to be a God of refugees, of disasters, and of battlefields? And in this psalm, I think we see three things. When your world is crumbling, what do you pray what do you repeat and what do you do? 
So first, let's talk about what do you pray, and let's recite this together. Let's say it in unison. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. We see over and over again in the scriptures and in our lives that we have the opportunity to pray to God. And many of those prayers are in the form of, God, will you be a sanctuary for me? God, will you help me? Will you give me the strength or the power or the courage to do what I need to do? And God surprisingly answers this prayers in ways that we can't anticipate. When I became a pastor in the year 2005, I became a pastor of a new church for me at the First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio, Texas. And it was the same year of a major crisis All I have to do is to put up the image on the screen, and in 2005, and you probably know if you were alive what this was. This is Hurricane Katrina. And thousands upon thousands of people from New Orleans, because San Antonio was far enough inland, they brought them to the city of San Antonio. We worked with the leaders of that city and said, what do you need? As people were literally flooding in, and they're like, we don't just need regular beds. We don't have enough medical care types of facilities to be able to take care of people. Do you think in your large church that there's enough medical professionals that you could become a a medical shelter for us? And we said, whatever it takes. And so on the first floor of the church, we housed people who were in nursing homes and other types of facilities and we rallied volunteers from the medical community because these were people who didn't just need a meal and a bed and a roof over their head. These were people who needed specialized care. And so for months, if I had a break in my day, I could go walk downstairs, I could sit on the edge of a medical bed and I could say, tell me your story. They would tell of being in their apartment or their care facility and the the waters of the flood came pouring in. And when this happened, many of them praying once again for the first time. And with tears in their eyes, they would say, I had no idea that that would lead me to a group of Christians who weren't getting anything from helping out other than that they opened their arms and that they were willing to welcome me in. And they would say things like, you have restored my faith. Your congregation reminds me that God answers these types of prayers. And so friends, I don't know what it is that you're going through. But here's what I know, God will provide help and refuge. And that there's one way that we pray that and there's another way where we also need to pray and repeat something that repeats over and over again in this passage. The repetition in a very short psalm of something that seems to come again and again is this phrase, say it with me. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This requires a little more explanation. 
What in our modern translation in the NIV says, the Lord Almighty, is actually a little more of a technical phrase. In some translations, and maybe you've heard this if you've been around church, have you ever heard the phrase, the Lord of hosts? And have you ever been kind of perplexed by that phrase and been like, why is it that we are declaring this is the God of hospitality, that God is like hosting a meal in this moment? Well, that phrase actually doesn't have anything to do with hospitality. It has everything to do with Lord of hosts is a phrase that means the Lord of armies. In other words, we translate it as Lord Almighty. It's more concrete in the Hebrew. It is the Lord over armies, Lord of armies. It's not the Lord with armies. It's the Lord of armies, that there is someone who is in charge that is bigger than all of the military powers of this world. And so this mighty, powerful Lord of all things, including armies, is with us. This strong God is with us. And we're reminded in this prayer that it is ever-present that he is with us. In other words, it is not fleeting, that he is not with you for a moment and then he is gone to the next. Even if you don't feel it, God is always with you. That even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that he is always with you. He is always near to you. And so this strong, mighty God of armies is with us. He is the God of Jacob. In other words, you and I do not make up this God as we go along. This is not, I am discovering this for the first time. This is the God of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Rachel. It is tethered through the generations that the revelation of what God said to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of their families and passed down through Egypt and through Moses and through all of the different great figures and families and tribe and eventually nation of the faith, even when that nation is falling apart, that it is that God who is mighty and strong, is with us. And if you desire, he will be your fortress. Tim Keller says, you can tell what somebody's God is. It's where they run when they're in trouble. And so when your life doesn't go your way, and the wheels fall off of your life, what do you run to? Do you run to entertainment and amusement? Do you run to despondency and despair? Do you run towards overworking? Do you run towards accomplishment and success and fame or wealth and fortune and the security of your money? Where is it that you think that you are seeking shelter and your fortress. And I'm here to tell you, some of those things are good things. Sometimes we treat those things to be ultimate things, which becomes dangerous. And when that happens, you just need to know those things don't last very long. And that only God can be your true fortress. One of my favorite stops when I take a group of people to Israel is this jaw-dropping place. This is Masada. King Herod the Great said, where David lived in the wilderness in fear, I will live in luxury. And he built what appeared to be the most impenetrable fortress in the world that would never fall, and yet it did. Today it is magnificent, but it is a ruin. You could try to find a place that you think no one can get to, and I'm here to tell you, that it will fall. The only place that won't fall is God. 
as your fortress. So I stand on the top of Masada and I read Psalm 46. Is he your fortress, my friends? And so what we pray is for God to be our help and our refuge and our strength. What we repeat is that the Lord Almighty is with us, that the God of Jacob is our fortress, and then there's what we do. Say this with me. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. All of a sudden in this prayer, God speaks. Prayer in general is you talking to God and about God, and yet God interjects into this prayer, breaks into the prayer, and he's got something to say. And he says, first, you got to stop. You got to be still. I love the concreteness of the Hebrew poetry here, the, the imagery for be still there uh, literally means to put your arms down at your sides. That maybe you've got your arms up and you're trying to fight, or maybe you feel like the world's shaking and you're flailing about to try to hold on. The first thing you've got to do is just surrender by putting your arms down and being still. Because one of the most detrimental things that we do when we're in the midst of a crisis or a struggle or a conflict is we make the situation worse by continuing to spin. Let me see if I can illustrate this. A couple of decades ago, I read a fantastic kind of nonfiction book that was called Shadow Divers that chronicles the hobby of crazy people. These are divers that choose to dive in places like this. Shipwreck divers. And so it's one thing to go under the water and you have your tank and you're kind of looking around at all the beautiful fish and all the coral. It's another thing to swim into that thing. You have to be insane. Cramped, dark place filled with all kinds of sediment as stuff has settled in there. It's really easy to get lost. And they said that one of the most detrimental things that can happen to shipwreck divers is they swim in, they get into something because they're looking for a treasure of some sort, historical or valuable, whatever it is, and they go in there. And if you're not careful, like if you kick too hard or move too much, the sediment in that room can set into a flurry, kind of like in a snow globe. And all of a sudden, you can't see anything. And you can get caught and you might begin to panic. And even if there's someone else in a different part of the ship, did you know that sound waves underwater, you can hear them, but they're directionless in water. So you don't know where the sound is coming from and the other person might not even be able to help you. And so Robert Kirsten puts it this way. He says, a diver lost or tangled inside a shipwreck has come face to face with his maker. Corpses have been recovered inside wrecks, eyes and mouths agape in terror. The poor diver still lost, still blinded, still snagged, still pinned. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. <laughs> Yet a curious truth pertains to these perils. Rarely does the problem itself kill the diver. Rather, the diver's response to the problem, his panic, likely determines whether he lives or dies. 
As a pastor, I see this all the time. The situation that someone is going through, it's bad, but it's not near as bad as their reaction to the situation. To which God says, will you be still? Will you put your arms down? Will you stop fighting, stop grasping, stop flailing around? But it's not being still for the sake of being still. It is be still and know that I am God. Earlier this last week, I was in a meeting with a group of college students. These were college students who were sharing about their experiences in school. They were seniors and they were reflecting back on their journey. And one of the students, as they were sharing, said the phrase that they identify as a Muslim. And then later on, she kept talking about her truth. And my head exploded. My head exploded because here's the deal. Is Allah God or not? Is Muhammad the true prophet or not? Is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob the God of Yahweh, God, and Jesus is the son of God? Or is the the Buddhist reality or the Hindu mini-gods? My friends, there is a reality, and the question is, what of our attempts are the most accurate reflections of that reality. So I really struggle with caring about whether we identify with something. What I want to do is engage in discussions about whether something is or is not. That there is such a thing, it's called truth, and it's out there, and we can search for it, and we can look for it, and what we believe in here is that there is a revelation of truth, and that there is a way of truth and life, and his name is Jesus And that we can be a people where it's not just that we identify with Christ, but that he identifies with us. It is about the reality of which there is a God out there. And if we are just willing to be still long enough to enter into the holiness and the goodness and the bigness and the mightiness of God. And that there is a reality out there and that what we ought to do is be still and know that he is Lord and sovereign over all of disasters and wars and creations. And that no matter what you are going through, you can exalt him. The ground beneath our feet is shaking and we are building our houses on sand. It's not about my truth and your truth, even though we ought to be humble and to the convictions that we hold and we ought to learn and be curious. It is not a license for arrogance or aggression. But it's about God's truth. Here is a family picture of a family from this church. This is the Hinkle family. And earlier this last year, 
Rebecca Hinkle was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Even with the very best of medical care, even with experimental treatments, eventually there was nothing that could be done. They were participating in this church at Easter. They couldn't be here in person, but they were participating online. And the very next week, they needed to have a doctor's visit where they needed to talk about the difficult next steps of whether to keep going or hospice. And then oftentimes, the doctors and physicians kind of steal themselves because sometimes it's hard to convince somebody that there's nothing else you can do. But she entered into the room and said, I know what I believe, and I know where I'm going. And so she could walk into the uncertainty without fear. And as a mom, she could love and care for her children and her family with the confidence of the reality of heaven. Rebecca Hinkle has a fortress. Unbeknownst to me, when I met with the family this week, the hymn that they selected for this coming week's memorial service in this very room is Martin Luther's summary of the psalm that we have read today that says, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark that never fails. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and his power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not as equal. And did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. And you ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, Lord of armies is his name. And from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, that we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. And that the prince of darkness grim, we don't tremble for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word can fell him. And that word above, all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth, that the spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom, his kingdom, his kingdom is forever. good things, even family, our life, our bodies, because of his truth and his kingdom that never ends.